This is the podcast from First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathy, and this is a, a podcast after having been out for a week. Uh, turned out to be a very unusual experience for me. I uh, went down to celebrate my mother's 97th birthday in Freeport, Florida. Dr. Larry Bennett uh, substituted for me in the pulpit which I am appreciative for. Dr. Bennett is the former pastor from First Baptist Church, who I uh, succeeded following the interim of Marsha McQueen. Now I uh, asked him to come in and speak for me, and I anticipated spending a little over a week down with my mother in Florida, but my trip was cut short by an unexpected uh, visitor, which was COVID. I'd never had COVID before, and I had a mild case of it, but uh, it caused me to return prematurely and to go into isolation, uh, which was uh, not the most pleasant of all experiences, but I did that and uh, now am back uh, in the operating phase again, coming out of isolation today and uh, will be in church on Sunday with a mask. Uh, so all will be safe. All right, I would like to tell you that today's message is entitled Giving Up. It is the second, 20th, 20th Sunday after Pentecost. And uh, for today's message, the passage of Scripture I'll be sharing from comes out of the book of Exodus. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, <clears throat> Come make gods for us, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains? and to consume them from the face of the earth. 
Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of the heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Well, before I begin, I'd like to express my thanks for Dr. Bennett, who filled in for me. Uh, Tony Lee and I went home to Florida to celebrate my mother's 97th birthday, which was last Sunday, just about the time we wished her a happy birthday. We were met with the news that we had COVID. Uh, The CDC, uh, Center for Disease Control, recommends a five-day isolation for mild symptoms, and so we had to return immediately to North Carolina, and we stayed home for the week. We've been thankful for your prayers and advice, as many of you have gone through similar experiences. We never expected the journey to take such a turn as it did, but God was with us and got us through, and that is an excellent place to begin the message this morning. This week, we return to the epic journey of Moses and the Israelites as they make their way through the desert wilderness to the palace, to the place of promise. So far, all they got is a promise. They took a lot, it took a lot for them to leave Egypt land, even though they were in bondage and being worked to death, even though the Egyptians were committing acts of genocide against them, even though they were in grave danger of losing their religious identity. In spite of all of that, it took a series of catastrophic events called plagues to convince them it was indeed time to go. Naturally, the Egyptians didn't agree to this plan. They wanted the inexpensive labor of an immigrant people in their land. They would allow them to remain within their country, but not to have a voice or exert any influence upon them. Yet they constantly feared they would become too numerous and instigate a rebellion. Not surprisingly, they saw themselves as superior people who worshipped superior gods. And so, even so, they had a problem. They felt threatened by the increasing number of the Hebrews. Before they, the Egyptians, treated uh, the Hebrews with a mixture of contempt and fear. God had not forgotten his people, though. He heard their desperate cries. God sent Moses back to Egypt to convince the Egyptians to let them go and also to convince the Hebrews to leave with him on nothing more than a promise of a better day to come. A series of ten plagues devastated the confidence they had in the Egyptian gods. It appeared to be some sort of divine design. Each plague could be interpreted as an attack upon the gods of Egypt. Clearly, Moses' god was superior to those of the Egyptians. At last, in a great act of decision, the people had to choose their loyalty to the Egyptian Pharaoh god or to the god of Jacob. Those who chose the Lord God were spared a horrible fate. Those who would remain faithful to the puny gods of Pharaoh, those who ignored the God of Moses, would pay a heavy price. At last, the Egyptians agreed to let them go. Finally, the Hebrews knew they had no choice but to depart. That should have settled it forever. 
but their troubles were far from over. The Egyptians, with blood, with the blood of their firstborn still wet on their hands, set out to avenge their loss. They wanted to exterminate the Hebrews and recover the loot that had taken they had taken from them. It was a matter of vengeance and national pride. In a dramatic meeting at the Red Sea, the matter was settled as the Lord God harnessed the forces of nature to benefit the Hebrews and destroy the Egyptian army of Pharaoh. The people followed Moses through a gap that split the sea long enough for them to cross to the other side, outside of Egyptian territory. The Egyptian pursuers were not so fortunate. They died when the sea returned to its normal state. At last, the Hebrews were free and on their own in the desert. Now, the enemy was not Pharaoh. The Egyptian gods are the people who had treated them so badly. Now the enemy was the desert itself. It is described later in the Bible as a barren and howling waste. Here were their problems. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They feared their resources would not last. They were afraid of the future. All they had was the memory of how life had been and what some were now terming the good old days. But were they really that good? only through a certain perspective. Then they were impoverished and treated cruelly, but they had a roof over their heads. Then they were able to count on just enough food to get by. Then life wasn't good, but it was somewhat predictable. The further they got from Egypt, the pain of their slave experience began to fade as they considered their new circumstances. We can know something about how they felt. Change is always hard on people, and they were afraid for their future. Their faith began to waver. It was then they felt like giving up. They began to yearn for Egypt. They began to minimize the awful conditions from which they had been delivered. Their faith in the God of Moses began to disintegrate. Who could help them? Moses? Their leader had gone away on the mountain getting orders from God. In that vacuum of spiritual fog, doubt and fear began to creep up and affect the people. Their courage and faith in God, the God of Moses, dried up and blew away like a tumbleweed. That was why they turned back toward the gods of Egypt. Even the Pharaoh, he would make them feel safe again. It is depicted in the Bible as a moment of mass insanity. Return to Egypt? Return to Pharaoh? Give up? But in spite of their fears, Moses had not died. He was still on the holy mountain. He was still communing with God. God told Moses what had happened and urged him to take action. Moses advocates for his people and holds God to his promise. God withholds his punishment. Seems he had something else in mind all along. You have heard the story read. Let's focus upon the response of Moses in verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord as God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? 
To understand the lesson of this story, we must first face the painful truth. The people turned their backs on God. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered round Aaron and said to him, Come make gods for us, we who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. The location of their giving up was at the base of Mount Sinai. Biblical scholars and archaeologists do not all agree where Mount Horeb, also called Sinai, is located. There are currently four locations that are discussed. Many Bibles in the map section may locate Sinai, but then add a question mark so as to indicate the uncertainty of the mountain. In the Bible, I most frequently use the English Standard Version. No location is indicated as being Mount Sinai. What is important, though, is that Moses knew where it was. He first heard God there in the bush that burned but was not consumed. Now he has brought his people there to hear from God again. Imagine the scene at Mount Sinai. Just because we do not know for certain where Mount Sinai is does not mean we cannot visualize what it must have looked like. There are two locations in the traditional land of Midian, the northwestern border of modern Saudi Arabia, that have features that closely resemble the biblical account. These sites are both high mountains. You may also find this interesting about these places in modern Saudi Arabia. Each site has evidences of past human activity, including formations that are possible altar and boundary stones. Egyptian artifacts, spear points, were found there. And most interesting for our reading today are the petroglyphs depicting bulls. Now, according to the Bible, the people of Israel had camped in this desolate area. They too had seen Moses ascend the mountain of God, a frightful place probably because of volcanic activity. Now they looked to Moses, to Aaron, Moses' brother, for temporary leadership. When Moses does not return on schedule, the people panic. I might note here that it is no new thing for people of faith to set a schedule for the return of spiritual leadership, and then when it does not meet their schedule, alter their faith according to the designs of their former existence. That was what they did then. They gave up. They turned their back on the God of Moses and sought out other guidance. Is their reaction something we can understand? I think the answer to that is yes. How hard it is to wait, how tempting it is to give up faith when life makes no sense, how easy it is to return to the old gods, how easy to resume the old bigotries, rewrite the histories, and dream of escaping the barren and howling waste. Giving up meant that the people returned to the old ways, to the Egyptian gods that had not loved them. This is how it happened. He took the gold from them, formed in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. In order to understand Jewish religion here, it is necessary that we have some understanding of Egyptian religion. The word Egypt itself has a religious, etym- uh, has a religious etymology. Memphis, located at the base of the Nile Delta, was the ancient capital of Lower Egypt. The city was founded by the Pharaoh Menes, 
Memphis remained an important city throughout ancient Mediterranean history. During its golden age, Memphis thrived as a regional center for commerce, trade, and religion. Memphis was believed to be under the protection of the god Ta, the patron of craftsmen. Its great temple, Hut Kut Ta, meaning enclosure of the Ka of Ta, was one of the most prominent structures in the city. The name of that temple rendered in Greek is Aegyptos and is the origin of the English word Egypt. So when they thought of Egypt, they thought of more than a country, but an entire religious system. In Egyptian mythology, Apis is a bull deity that was worshipped in the Memphis area. The Apis was the most important of all the sacred animals in Egypt. The cult of the Apis bull started at the very beginning of Egyptian history. According to the Egyptian Museum, the Apis served as an intermediary between humans and an all-powerful god, Ta. As a manifestation of Ta, Apis was also considered to be a symbol of the Pharaoh embodying the qualities of kingship. He was entitled the renewal of the life. Apis was a protector of the deceased and linked to the Pharaoh, chosen because it symbolized the king's courageous heart, great strength, virility, and fighting spirit. Now, this is extremely important to understand, this part of Hebrew scripture. The Apis bull was considered to be a manifestation of the Pharaoh by casting a golden bull calf. The Israelites were honoring Pharaoh, the very one who had only recently tried to kill them. Now they wanted to worship him as their new God. That is what was so horrifying and offensive to Moses when he descended the mountain. Of course, the scripture implies that we all might be tempted to give to just give up to. While we may not return to the old gods of Egypt, are there gods that we do turn to? Religious scholar Neil Donovan asked, we might wonder how anyone could worship a graven image after experiencing the presence and providence of God, but sophisticated modern people still do that. Gold bugs track gold prices as if gold were a deity. Others covet the images of Washington, Lincoln, Hamilton, and Jackson on our currency. Others kneel at the altar of prestige products, fancy watches, luxury cars. People today worship, not too strong a word, I think, celebrities, whether sports, figures, or movie stars, authors, or even scientists, even megachurch pastors. Here are the same questions we now face. How easy it is for you to get discouraged and quit. How easy is it to give up your freedom for security? How easy is it for you to return to the old gods from the ways you used to act? Sometimes even religious leaders get it wrong. Aaron Moses' brother falters as a religious leader and urges a compromise that cannot work. Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. How alluring it is to simply redefine the worship of God. Aaron seeks a compromise. A worship Apis, worship Pharaoh today, but tomorrow worship the Lord God. 
Whenever we compromise and worship the old gods and think God doesn't care as long as we make it to church on Sunday, don't we make the same mistake Aaron does? We must let go of the past and push on to the promise of God. We won't give up. The people then did not understand that instead a sick celebration broke out. They rose early in the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. How fun it is to party along with the crowd. The religion had turned. Why not embrace its new forms? Let's celebrate with the crowd. But what if the reason for the party is less than worthy? It kind of reminds me of a lyric from a Gordon Lightfoot ballad. I can picture every move that a man could make. Getting lost in her loving is your first mistake. Sundown, you better take care if I find you've been creeping around my back stairs. Sometimes I think it's a sin when I feel like I'm winning when I'm losing again. Just like the John and the Lightfoot song, Israel felt like they were winning when in reality they were losing again. You see, sometimes the formation of real faith requires a journey through the barren and howling wasteland. We read the scripture. It is truly a sad scene. If we were God, perhaps we would give up on them. But the Lord has not forgotten his people. He sends Moses to deal with them. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. Make no mistake. Sin is sin. God calls the actions of the Israelites perverse. The psalmist will later characterize this corruption as follows. They made a calf in Horeb. They worshipped a molten image. They exchanged their glory for an image of the bull that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had Moses, his chosen, not stood before him in the breach, to turn away his wrath so that he wouldn't destroy them. Did you know that there are multiple ways we can define sin? For example, some say the Lord's Prayer. Using the word transgressions, a violation of an established boundary. Others say debts, implying the toil our neglect or misdeeds take upon another. Others say sin, most likely referring to the Greek word that means to miss the mark. The Celtic version a definition of sin, forgetfulness, makes the best sense here. They forgot God, their Savior. Isn't that what they did? Have you ever forgotten the God who saved you? Now notice this. At the lowest moment, something great happens. Moses cares enough to fight for his people. Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Moses could have walked away right then. He could have given up. He might even have given in, but God found Moses, as it is recalled in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy. He found him in the desert land in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him and cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings and catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided them. Moses is not about to give up. Once long ago, he had given up, but then God called him back through a burning bush. 
Now changed forever, he fights for his people. He refuses to let them perish. A passionate love for our neighbors is what is required. Moses had found through God that kind of love that sacrifices to help others. Writing on the Reformation in Scotland, Bert Parsons tells the story of John Knox. Perhaps more than anything else, John Knox is known for his prayer, Give me Scotland or I die. John Knox's prayer was not an arrogant demand, but the passionate plea of a man willing to die for the sake of the pure preaching of the gospel and the salvation of his countrymen. Knox's greatness lay in his humble dependence on our sovereign God to save his people, revive a nation, and reform his church. As is evident from his preaching and prayer, Knox believed neither in the power of his preaching nor in the power of his prayer, but in the power of the gospel and the power of God, who sovereignly ordains preaching and prayer as secondary means in the salvation of his people. Although Knox had been imprisoned and enslaved, and though he was often infirm and under threat from persecution, he consistently lived out his theology, believing that one man with God is always in the majority. As such, the prayers of one man heard at the throne of God were a threat to the throne of Scotland. During the time of the 16th century Scottish Reformation, Knox's ministry of preaching and prayer were so well known that the Roman Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots, is reputed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Above all, Knox was a committed pastor and churchman whose ministry served as a compass to numerous pastors throughout Scotland. He reinvigorated God's shepherd shepherds throughout the nation. This in turn reformed the church and thus in God's providence revived the country. Most notably, what inspired the pastors perhaps more than any other characteristic in Knox was that he did not fear men because he feared God. John Knox preached and prayed to the end that God would rescue Scotland precisely because he was clinging to Jesus' promise and prayer to save his people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now I ask you, could we do the same for our community? Commenting on this, Ed Stetzer writes, I would say, to fall in love with your community, you have to die to yourself, to the mission, and to your own preferences. If you're going to reach a community, you need to be deeply in love with it. Jesus, looking down on Jerusalem, cried, They are like sheep without a shepherd. We have to say the same about Plainview, Philadelphia, and Pasadena. I'm convinced that you will not reach a community for Christ unless you are deeply in love with the community and its people. I think you and I need the same passion in our context, our own personal Scotlands for the gospel. Jesus demonstrated this very concept in his earthly ministry as he walked with people in his culture. He lived with them, listened to them, told stories to them, welcomed their children and recognized and met people's needs. Can we have the same passion for our community? If we have the same passion for our community, what might change? Now, it is also important to know that God's will is also always to save his people. The Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. God is not willing that any should perish is found in the Christian scriptures, but it is not just a New Testament concept. Peter wrote, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. 
Read it carefully, and you will see it was always God's will to save his people, but he needed a leader as committed as Moses to do that. And Moses did, and so was a reflection of the Christ yet to come for us all. This is not just a story for the Hebrew nation struggling through the barren and howling wasteland. It is also for us. We must begin by knowing this. Even though we might forget the Lord, our Savior, He does not forget us. So when you are most tempted to cry, God, where are you? Remember, He is listening because He is with you and He cares. Next, remember this. God is actively working among us. He sends Moseses into our lives to love us and fight for our souls. Look for the Moseses in your life. You can find them because they will point you to trust in God. And maybe God is calling you to be a Moses for someone else. How would you be? What would you do if you were to act like Moses for someone who has gone after other gods? How do we resist the urge to give up and go back toward our Egypts? Former CBF Executive Coordinator Susie Painter once asked, was asked, once asked, what will become of tomorrow's church? How shall we be tomorrow's church? Number one, love your church. Just fall in love with people. Care about people. Number two, love your people. Precious Lord, take our hand. Lead us on. There is a great day today. There is a great day tomorrow. I'm grateful for the capacity to serve in such a community. Let us pray. God, give us this community or we'll die. Move our hearts to get right before you and then to help others who may have forgotten how much you love them. As we go in Jesus' love into confusion and heartache and even anger, let us care enough to fight for them as we bring peace and hope in love. In the name of the one who loved us back to life, we pray. Amen.